Welcome back to another episode of Sketch Nerds, where we break down sketch comedy. What works, what doesn't work, what we like, what we don't like, and why. Today we've got a special live episode for you from Philly Sketch Fest. Thank you to Josh and My First Sketch for inviting us. We're going to be talking about a sketch from Philly's own Cups and a Half. You can find information about this podcast, as well as the sketch we're going to be discussing today, at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. I'm your host, Andy Weld, and I am joined today by Elizabeth E.K. Kemp. Hello. And two members of Cups and a Half. You guys, why don't you introduce yourselves? Sure. Uh, I'm Ruthie Iglesias, one of the Cups. I'm Alyssa Truskowski, another one of the Cups. Is anyone a half cup? Well, I don't think that we want to, like, put anybody on blast. But, you know, some of us have, like, smaller cups. I get it. I get it. Yeah. All right. Well, let's first talk about your all's background in sketch comedy. Let's say individually how you each got into it, and then we'll talk more about Cups and a Half as a whole. Ruthie, why don't you tell us about how you got into sketch comedy and comedy in general? Sure. As a kid, of course, I was very much into Kids in the Hall and SNL and just generally uh, making up stories and and goofing around with my family and friends. and of obviously dress up. Wow. If you do sketch, you got to love some, some dress up and some props. But then as far as like actually learning how to, to write and, and sure. write and do some, yeah. some actual art, um, I started in high school where me and a friend were hosting like a, you know, senior variety show, whatever, whatever. But it was sort of like, oh, wait, this is a thing that people do. And then I came to Philly for grad school and then just started taking classes here and was like, all right, this is what I'm doing here. Yeah. And is your graduate degree relevant to comedy? Ooh, heck, highly debated. Uh, I have a master's of fine art. So sure. Sure. Yes, yes yeah. no. It's visual art. Yeah. Yeah. And if I can interject, Ruthie makes most of our props and costumes. Thank you. Ooh. And all of our digital work. So we use that graduate knowledge constantly. Student loan debt, worth it. No. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you can't buy a house, but by God, you have a sketch comedy group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, Alyssa, how about yourself? How did you get involved in sketch comedy? Sure. So I started doing stand-up at Improv, and I knew I really wanted to do sketch comedy, but I knew it was a bigger commitment in terms of the amount of work and just, like, thinking about it. So I took the class here at the Philly Improv Theater. Uh, I took Sketch 101. I loved it, and... Um, we started our sketch team. We have a, a weird origin story, which, you know, basically a bunch of us were like, we've taken the classes. Now what do we do to get into sketch comedy? We've done one minute monologues or we've done these like bits on variety shows. But we started by getting a call out on a Facebook group saying like, hey, like who wants to talk about starting a sketch team? And ever since then, it's taken off. I was also really fortunate that I was cast as a writer for a house team at Philly Improv Theater called Fezziwig, so I did that for a period of time. And just, you know, through Philly Improv Theater, I've done direction and other types of things there, too. So it's been great to be a part of. And so Cups and a Half, let's start with the name. Where? What's the origin of the name Cups and a Half? I can tell this. I might be wrong. I'm like the only person who usually remembers the exact origin. True, very true. Uh, we were coming up with a bunch of names, and our process was to make a spreadsheet and to take a vote and all these different things, and we, we didn't like anything. But we were talking, one of the ones that stuck out was uh, the concept of deep cups, which would be like a different equivalent to having like big balls, right? So, and we wanted something that was a little universal. And so we were like, well, some people didn't like the concept of deep cups, but we were like, well, what is something that's kind of fun? 
And then cups and a half ended up being, you know, kind of universal because everybody arguably has some kind of cup. And the concept of having like a, a plural that makes no sense. So, yeah, that's kind of where it came from. Nice. Yeah. I like that. What, so were there other names that you were like really, that you really liked that were thrown around that didn't make it very far? I remember one was like alligator something. And I remember some of our team members were like, really like, this is kind of fun. And then other people were like, no, <laughs> no, no. But we had a, you know, we had a whole spreadsheet and a voting system, which is very us. That's we how, have too many options. I was going to yeah. say, that's yeah. how we, that's how we pick our sketches that we do for shows is we do like a big voting thing. Yeah. For it. And it's, yeah. Generally the same. That's also, I think I'm looking at our producer Isaiah in the corner, but I believe that's very similar to how we picked our name, which was what Twitter handles are taken. Other important yeah. thing to consider, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The website, all of it, yeah. Almost and, like a trademark search. And no one was apparently aware of the popular rock song, Bad Medicine by Bon Jovi. Right. <laughs> so, you know. Fuck you, Andy. <laughs> it's one of my favorite, one of my favorite things. I like, to, uh, I like to be introduced that way as a bad, as a Bon Jovi cover group, Bad Medicine. Is this not a Bon Jovi podcast? I mean, we're about to get into <laughs> New Jersey, oh the album oh God, not that Bad Medicine is We've on. Been I'm taking again. the wheel. Here we go. All right. So, Cups and a Half. What's is there a certain style that Cups and a Half has that you would describe? Is there are there certain influences that you feel really strongly about? Is there a school of thought you guys approach it from? Yeah, I mean, I would say from my perspective, all of our work tends to have some sort of like either philosophical perspective or political perspective that we find important or, you know, something that we want to call attention to. And we do we do try to keep that in mind as we write, as we bring in other performers. We try to keep that in mind about like, hey, we are creating art for other people what are we actually saying? What are we actually doing? So we don't want to just make like a bunch of fart jokes and yay, whatever. So yeah, we, we decided early on that we wanted to try to be more more writers, like more serious about the, the content behind it. And of course, silly and funny. Yep, we love fart and dick jokes. It's true. Yeah, well, I mean, how how topical do you try to be? Because I mean, certainly right now, one of the one of the issues we always try to think about is you know, evergreen content and, and timeliness, you know, like you could, you could write a Trump sketch, but it's going to be tired and out of date within, you know, 48 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like when he outdoes himself. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's always a consideration for us is like, what's funny, what's evergreen. And there's things that we've retired that we thought kind of like we probably wouldn't retire because they worked so well for a time. But I think for us, we really come at it like this strikes us as funny and then what is the premise? And we kind of go into it. But I think our natural personal leanings, I mean, we're all, we're a feminist team, whether we want to be or not. And I think that's something we wear proudly. Mm -hmm. But so there is that element of like when we write sketches, that usually is a strong piece of the voice that comes into play, regardless of whether that was our intention with that sketch or not. Did you feel like a feminist voice was something that was missing, whether in the local community or the community at large? Or was it just something, was it something that happened by accident? Was it a conscious choice? That kind of, that slant, how did it come about? I think, well, also, we started around the time where politics was, like, going in a totally different direction than all of us thought it was going. <laughs> so I think in a community, especially Philly at the time, there wasn't, there were other groups of all women or of different folks that had that bent also, but I think that perspective can always be added to a community. Sure. I don't think that we're we see so much feminism that we're like... <laughs> Too much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, 
women think have we... too many rights these days. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> ugh, <Yeah>. dial it back. <laughs> I also think that uh, we kind of didn't realize how many peas in a pod we are until we were sitting together and talking. We're like, oh, wow, okay, we have a lot of similar interests, similar uh, perspectives, and, and definitely we tend to um, make each other laugh while we're writing, while we're pitching. So it just was like, oh, we're, we're all similar folks, you know? Yeah, and our group writing process, especially for that first show, I mean, first off, our director was Jolie Darrow of Barbara Bush, and so she definitely like was right in a similar line of taking a viewpoint or encouraging us like, hey, this seems like this is a sketch about this topic, really lean into it, like don't shy away from it. And she really pushed us. So I think that we were able to cultivate one voice early on and that's just been the way we, we've gone since. So I, I wanted to, I'm glad you brought up the director. Um, and so I, cause I'm really interested in that because Bad Medicine has rotating directors depending on the show. So you had this one person, did she direct all of your shows? What was her involvement in the writing process? What's that like kind of working with a director like that from a sketch comedy point of view? Because I know that happens a lot in improv, um, but I feel like it's less so in sketch comedy. So I'm interested in how that came together. The thing with Jolie was that she volunteered from the beginning to offer to direct or support us, but she was really clear, like, this is your group. You figure it out. Like, if working together makes sense for us, great. If it doesn't, that's okay, too. And one of the things that was great about our group is we came to it saying we want to be a sketch team that takes it seriously. Like, we're, we're friends, but our priority in this moment is, like, to be a sketch group that does sketch. So she had a lot of influence in that she asked us a lot of challenging questions and really pushed us. In our first two shows, I always say, like, we wrote an average of seven drafts per sketch mm -hmm. because she was pushing us, <laughs> asking questions, and then we were pushing each other. And so she really modeled a process for us. But it would be great because, like, we'd have our first couple meetings when developing a show. No Jolie. She would come see sketches, like, that we had written after we were there. She didn't really help us with the premise part unless she happened to be there and we were chatting. But we really were managing ourselves, and then we would go to her with, like, here's what we're doing, and then she'd kind of guide us from there or help us with imagining the blocking. But she's always been super collaborative. Um, she, when she moved to New York, she stopped being our director formally, but she really modeled for us a process that now makes it so that we can, I think we work well together collaboratively. Now we just make group decisions. Yeah, it, it helped us be a little more critical because even though she, as you know, Alyssa said, wanted to be friendly and of course cares about us deeply and we care about her, also it's business. Jolie be like, all right, quit dicking around guys. This is serious. Like you said, you wanna, you wanna work on your craft and your art. And so I think she taught us to be much more critical of ourselves early on, right? Like Alyssa said, with that many drafts, especially. Yeah, and she made it okay, at least for me, to hear something like, with love, like, this isn't funny. Like, yep. that's, yep. like, super important, and we learned that lesson early on. It's still hard to hear sometimes, but it's important to hear, and we all kind of understand that we take that criticism in service of the team and of the sketch. Yeah. Sure, and I think that's, that's, that's always one of the hardest things about taking notes, especially if it's, when it's about something you've created. It's like you have, to, you have to make sure you're in the mindset of this is all serving the sketch, serving the group, serve, make, to make a better... I, I know that can be really tricky, especially I, I feel we find that especially when people join our group and are new writers, that can be a really hard process because they come in with with a new thing that they're usually pretty excited about. And then, you know, come back with notes and sometimes like, well, this didn't work. Um, and 
or I've seen this sketch a hundred times in yep. other cities. That was also helpful for her to have that perspective and experience. <laughs> and again, say it with love, but honesty. Yeah. <laughs> so how, when you guys are putting together a show, it sounds like before you even formed the group, you were well aware of the commitment involved in putting together a sketch show as opposed to an improv show. When you're talking about that level of dedication and the work, how many hours would you say are you putting in to like <laughs> making making a show happen? So I'm just going to say, uh, depends on the show, depends on the sketch, but a lot of hours, way too many hours um, is the number of hours. I mean, I think it depends <laughs> on the writing process too, because in the beginning we were meeting every other week or we had a really consistent schedule. And then as time has gone on and we have experience and we have trust in each other, now it can be like shortcut it a little bit because we can do a lot of the writing and feedback online or we do a lot of more Google Hangouts now and I like that because I live farther away from the center of the city. And so it is still a lot of time, but now that we have some processes in place, it definitely is like everyone takes their piece of what needs to be done and they do it. And then we have sometimes we come back together. Like we only had one in-person rehearsal for our last show this last, like wow. last week. I mean, we had done the sketches all before elsewhere, but we only did one person uh, or one rehearsal that was like five hours. So you've got this trust built up. You've got, you, you know where each one of you is coming from in terms of feedback. One of the things that we've seen consistently in sketch comedy is people move. There's, you know, people get, go down other paths and take, make different choices. So when you think about the sustainability of your team, is it something where you'd be open to adding new people and potentially changing that dynamic slightly? Or is it something you'd rather just retire when, when you all are, are ready to move on? So I'd like to answer this as honestly as possible. And as a team, we haven't decided. So, right, so some of us may be leaning more towards one or the other, but everything we do, we decide completely as a team. So um, we're intending to meet after we, you know, finish up all the festivities of Sketchfest. We're going to do like a meeting, check back in. Hey, where are you guys at? And also, you know, it, what could our team look like? What should it look like? What do we want? What do we not want? Uh, yeah. So we'll see. We do. There's this podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. And I think a lot of the modeling that we end up with, at least for what I vote for, comes from the idea of like running the team like a business in that way. So last summer we took a chunk of the summer off. We do these check-ins that are like, what do we want for the next year? What are our goals? Like, let's come up with some concrete things. And then we decide how to move forward. So it's almost just like we do an annual review and then we decide where we want to go next, <laughs> which is great. Cause also there's like low pressure for us right now. Like we're going to enjoy being a part of Sketchfest, and then we're going to take a breath and then we're going to decide we don't have all these questions. Like one of our members just moved. So we're not like thinking like, what are we going to do now that there's not going to be this person? We're just like, that's a problem for next month to deal with. Yeah. We're just excited that people are pursuing whatever their, their needs and wants are. Right. So especially for members who move away, Hell yeah, do yeah. it. How many of you have like professional ambitions in comedy, like moving beyond where you are now? I mean, I know some of you are, are working in, in this industry already, but, but beyond that. I think I'll say generally, we all have some sort of professional element to what we're doing. It's, it's very different for each of us. So for me, my professional level was that I needed to get more experience doing video editing, doing all of our like 
uh, audio transitions and things like that. So for me, professionally, I needed to work on my skills in other technical areas. I also needed to work on my writing real bad. So for me, that that's the, the main professional element is that regardless of where I go, if I continue performing comedy or not, these are amazing skills that are so helpful. I would definitely say, too, just I think to what maybe the heart of your question was, is that more than the majority or more than half have specific interest in doing something in comedy professionally and walking farther away from day jobs and things like that. Well, let's talk about the sketch that you brought, The Rock. Can you first uh, tell us about, why don't you set up the sketch? Tell us just a little setup because in post we're going to put an audio clip in. So tell us about the sketch. Sure. Um, so it's called The Rock. Uh, it was written by one of our members, Christine Honey, and it was part of our Apocalypse show. So the idea is we are three, uh, you know, 20-somethings in a basement or bunker type situation. Uh, we find ourselves here after coming for spring break. You know, we're trying to chill, trying to have fun, and then nuclear holocaust whatever, goes wild, you know, something outside. Buck wild. Exactly, yeah. So it's just sort of like a, to me it feels kind of like a weird slice of life for if you're in a bunker for a really long time. That's how I would describe it. And one of the issues is that, you know, all they have to eat is canned food and the can opener breaks and then they all lose their minds because they're like, we're going to fucking die. And then each of the characters gets to, like, show who they are and you learn throughout the sketch all these weird things like one of them has a relationship with a rock one of them has a relationship with a chair as their boyfriend. One um, has this potato that's been dressed up. And so they all have these relationships with inanimate objects and they're trying to manage as a community like this crisis. Rocky, what just happened? Nothing, no, it's fine. It's fine. It just... Oh my God, it's broken! <laughs> no, it just needs a little more, um... Shit! Fuck! That's not the can opener we have down this bunker! How are we going to eat? Shut up, shut up, shut up! Everybody stay calm! We just have to find something to open that can. Start looking. Yeah, because Sasquatch shampoo and a copy of Harry and the Hendersons is really going to help us out in this situation! So, why did you bring that sketch for us today? One of the things about that sketch, uh, number one, we didn't understand the assignment. But number two, we also thought um, it's a sketch that we've performed since early in being a team and having full sketch comedy shows. And then we recently performed it at our, as our best of, and people talk about that sketch. It's, it's memorable for them. And yeah, the video that we shared today is one of the earlier pieces, but it's a sketch that every single member of our team has played one of the roles in, at least, if not two or more of the roles. And yeah, it's just one that we've really seen evolve over time in how we've tweaked the performances, tweaked the writing, tweaked the um, the delivery. We've had technical issues. We've where had medical issues. Yeah. With that. <laughs> Smashing open the I can the imagine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can see where that might go wrong. So can you actually like really delve into that a little bit more, like how it came from idea or first draft? Obviously, the, the writer is not here, but how it came from first draft to whatever this version that you recently did is and just talk about how it changed over time. Yeah. So our first draft, so our apocalypse show was actually, we started pitching a bunch of ideas for our very first show. They all happened to be kind of like end of the world, like crisis dystopia themed. And then this sketch was actually brought in after we kind of had almost our first set done. So it was this unexpected sketch that was a little bit unlike other sketches that we had since many of ours were like 
straight up just feminist based, like mm -hmm. in the first round. And this was just kind of like almost more evergreen and more universal. And so when we brought it in, it was kind of like a breath of fresh air into a bunch of sketches we had started out with. And through the process, we've tweaked some of the rationale. Like one of the things we say is, you learn that the reason this bunker exists is because one of their uncles is a Bigfoot enthusiast who built this bunker for Bigfoot to protect him from society. And so they're like, that element wasn't clear in the beginning and we tweaked it. Or one thing that we're really conscious about is the words that we choose in the writing. If you can say them on stage without a microphone and if people can understand what you're saying. So there were versions where we changed names or we changed phrasing. We changed the setup the technical issues with the beans, like the choreography. Changing. That's a yeah. great phrase. The technical issues with the beans. Oh, yeah. Like that oh, on its beans. Own. We, those, those one beans. of the members cut their hand on the can in Montreal at Montreal sketch fest in the middle of our show and was just bleeding <laughs> into the rest of our sketches for the show and into the night. Do you remember any of the particular phrases that you realized were just getting lost in live performance? Uh, the phrase now, like the phrase that we've sort of landed on for now is, because Sasquatch shampoo and a copy of Harry and the Hendersons is really going to help us in this situation. So it was some other kind of thing. Like we did like Yeti hair. Like we would make a list of like, mm -hmm. what's the funniest thing we could say that people can still hear. And we just make cinnamon. a list. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and there was other Bigfoot elements in there too, that we just had to, to work out in different drafts or in different after a performance, like decide. I think also it um, depends on like what we have to yell. So there is a, like a fight scene, right? So where we have to yell to eat to each other at each other at the audience. Um, so of course that can turn into a classic, like everybody on stage scream, yay! Except that's not very fun for an audience member half the time. So we had to our director helped us refocus. Jolie was like, hang on guys, you're, this is just chaos. Let's make something out of this. And, and it made us realize, oh, okay, we need to, where we are ad-libbing in this situation, it's not as helpful. We need to be more um, clear about what we're saying in, in this fight scene because it just was chaos. It was too hard to understand. There's a moment too where you find out that The Rock is willing to sacrifice its body to open the can of beans. And... The big reveal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But there's a moment where, you know, Robbie, who Ruth usually plays, Me. holds the rock out, and we're all just listening to this rock give this amazing monologue that no one in the audience can hear. And so learning to play off the audience and being like, the audience likes it when we're quiet longer or, you know, trying to, like, decide what kind of emotions we're going to express during that time, we've just kind of, that's changed and evolved over the way we perform it. So I have a prop question for you. Heck yeah. You are, you are presented in this situation with a rock and a potato, right? Yes. So, so my question mm -hmm. the first time I, I watched this was, you, you've set up this heroic sacrifice, but even when you hit the can with the rock, the rock is still intact. So in order for it to really be a sacrifice, did you ever consider like trying the potato first and just being like, well, that was for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> We hadn't, and when, I, that's an interesting point. Yeah. Uh, we were thinking... Somebody's got to die for no good reason. Yeah. I mean, we had the interesting thought of, like, uh, Christine had pitched, not only would this be the scene, but then afterwards it kind of, like, 
zooms out and then you're in the world of this potato, this rich inner life of this potato would be a digital sketch. And so that was one thing we pursued and we had to nix because of time constraints and then we never circled back to it. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. So no, but that's an interesting point. I, I will say I had that thought when, when the rock does not break. However, I needed the rock, of course, for each time we perform it. Right. And in, in my mind, as I got into Robbie, the character over time, I really got into their head. I realized, oh, wait, the rock doesn't have to break for Robbie to think it's dead. You know, the rock just needs trauma and injury and then best friend gone. One other thing I'll point out that was really helpful and interesting, we didn't get it for this sketch, but the like fight scene, quote unquote, we did, um, what is it called that Quentin taught us? Fight choreography. Fight choreography for a different sketch. And we did, we paid him money to teach us how to do things like stage mm -hmm. falls and do all these other things to fight safely, but also to make our performances bigger. And I will say that our performances had changed for the better to be more over the top since we did that fight choreography yes. uh, workshop with him. Very helpful. I just hit Andy. Should I not be doing that? There are sketches where she just straight up hits me. And sometimes it's not in the script. I mean, well, <laughs> we all need to improvise. Yeah. <laughs> it felt right in the it moment. It usually starts as an all improvisation. And then times. it's like, oh, that played really well. Let's hit him yeah. again. People really seem well. to like it yeah. when I hit wow. you in the face. I think we should do more And then of my it. mom is just like laughing the hardest. <laughs> <laughs> the element of surprise in reality is not to be underestimated. Mm. I will say. Yeah. Yeah. There's some like fake hits that we've done that look, you can tell they're fake. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so so a real hit. You know, if consensual, but <laughs> right. we're on board. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Well, you know. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to have ask you each two questions and because, you know, we're analysis. So we're going to analyze some things. So what is your favorite part of this sketch? And what's your least favorite part of this sketch? Or the thing you think, mm. like, or maybe think about it as what works the best and what do you think doesn't work the best? And even maybe it's something that you feel like the group feels or you personally feel like, well, I never really liked that joke, that kind of thing. So top and bottom. I'll say from the most recent time that we have performed this sketch, I found new things to love about it or different things to love about it because it had evolved so much. But I think like Alyssa was saying, attesting to our drive to, to amp up those characters and that physicality and be more concise about chaos. Um, I think that was really, really helpful for when we performed at this most recent time where I think the physicality was better. We had different people playing different characters, but it's it felt even better because we made different character choices. So I think that to me was my favorite, was that not not a specific element of the sketch, but but that we were able to not be precious with it and to change it as we went. And and we edited so many times or so so many little things like, wait a second, was it Sasquatch or was it Bigfoot? Was it beans or was it, you know, black beans? Was it Goya beans? What kind of beans? Do I need to get Goya beans as the prop? So we, you know, I think to me that was fun that we actually weren't quite as precious and we really did like explore things while staying true to the original idea. If that makes sense. Yeah, it yeah. absolutely does. One of the things I don't like about the sketch is I started to not like the sketch because we had performed <laughs> it for so long. And like the, in concept, it was great. But then as we've become better writers, I think if we were to rewrite the sketch now, we would make a lot of different choices. Mm -hmm. And so as a sketch, it's been one that is beloved, but also it's beloved because it's sweet and from our first year together. <laughs> I also, the two characters, so the character that Ruthie normally plays, which is Robbie, who like is the one who has the rock as the best friend. I love the discovery of like the one person has this potato friend that has like a full costume. And then <laughs> that might, the character I usually play is in a relationship with a chair because 
that character, whether I play it or whether another member plays it, tends to be like a Daria type character of being like the more um, voice of reason character. And then you find out that they're also in the same bananas insanity. So one of the things that really made this sketch feel like exciting and fresh was a different person played a different role they hadn't played before. So Alexis played the potato friend character and made a really weird different choice that I don't think any of us would have thought of. I don't think she would have even thought of it early on, but now we're just like a little further along in our performance experience. Yeah. And it challenged us to play these characters that you and I have been playing for like two and a half years. Exactly. In a totally different way. And it just made it so much more fun and wild. And yeah, it just felt like it, it felt like a brand new sketch. So I think the thing I I liked the least was this sketch. And now the thing I like the most (laughs) is like the way we play this sketch most recently. I'm just curious as, as we're talking about how a sketch evolves, presumably your sensibilities about sketch have evolved over time too. So are there, are there pet peeves or anything like that in sketch comedy that even looking back at this early performance that you can see now, like, ugh, <laughs> that's in there and we never would have put that in there now? Just thinking uh, Yeah, I'm thinking of, a, of specific examples. I, there's definitely times like that where we thought later, like, wow, that was kind of insensitive. Why did we do that? What, are, what are some of those pet peeves that you have, whether they're in this sketch or otherwise? Anything that stands out is like, a, man, I just don't like it when a sketch does that. I think that we were guilty of like hitting the game too many times in a sketch early on to get the point across, and that really limited us. So we did this one show. It was a Valentine's Day collaboration show with the team It's the New, and they're weird, wild, and completely organized differently than we are, and they're... They have so much fun doing sketch comedy. And we are like, we have our planners. We have a timeline. (laughs) Like, we're very organized. Like, we're going to methodically get this sketch show done. And working with them, like, really expanded, at least for me, like, the types of sketches we write, the kind of ideas. Like, a sketch could just be weird for no reason. Like, it, and it really opened us up. And so now... um, in our sketches, there's a lot of sketches where I'm like, oh, great, another feminist sketch, which I fucking love. But like when you put them all together, you're like, no wonder the audience is fatigued, sure. both because of society and our viewpoint and the sketch hits the game too many times. So so wait, I just I just I do want to pause. One of the things we try to do on this podcast is actually like dig in a little to the phrasing phrasing and and kind of the uh the the language or the code of sketch comedy. So when you say hitting the game, what what do you mean? Oh, meaning like whatever the thing is. What's what's the thing that the sketch is about, right? So a game and improv, of course, is very similar, but in sketch, it's more important, we think, in our process to identify it, to actually say it out loud. Oh, it's funny because they're, they have relationships with inanimate objects, right? So we had the threes. First was the rock, then the potato, then the chair. And so, right, so that's how in sketch we kind of would approach our version of hitting the game. A similar thing would be, we have this one sketch called Teen Funeral, where these three teenage girls are treating, planning for their funeral as they would like getting excited about getting married. And they're like, well, what's your funeral dress gonna be? Like, I'm tired of mason jar vigil candles. I, like, I wrote a sketch like that, the, yeah. almost the same premise. Yeah. yeah, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah. you hit the, mm-hmm. and like, so the whole Make premise- Make a note, we're not doing it. <laughs> We already didn't. In (laughs) our world, the feminist army has, like, taken over and liberated us from marriage. So now the funeral is the only special day you get, right? So, so, but in that, like, we love that. I still love that sketch. But, like, when we perform it now, it feels tired for us. The audience feels tired of it. And when you have your sketch brain on, like, 
once you see the first game, it's really hard to surprise an audience because like it kind of drives at the same joke. Like what are all the comparisons we can make to funerals and weddings? So a mapping if you can, sketch. If you can, well, the, the point being, if you can do it in two or three beats, you don't need to take five to yeah, make the same Yeah, right. Or if you can do it in three beats, maybe it needs to be a one-page sketch. Our sketches get progressively shorter. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I think that was something Jolie would teach us a lot is to trim down and not be afraid to, to take something back out. So I, I think that was... That's, yeah, that's one way to do it is where we would say, well, wait, is it actually a two-person sketch or is it a monologue? Like, did you accidentally write a monologue with another person that doesn't need to be there? Yeah. <laughs> and, and we have. We definitely yeah. have. Where Most like, recently, we did it as a, we, we did one sketch, one sketch as a monologue. And we find that it didn't actually work as a monologue, which is contrary to all the rules that you're, like, supposed <laughs> to know. Yeah. Which is the other thing. We're like, why doesn't this work as a monologue? It's because everybody hates it as a monologue. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we, we've started asking those questions a lot more often, too. Like, okay, this is a three-character sketch. Can it be two? Mm-hmm. This is a monologue. Does it need to be two? This is five pages. Can we do it in one and a half? Is it a blackout as opposed to right. what we've, how we've executed it here? But also, how do you build relationships? Like, how do you build, right. like, yeah, worlds absolutely. in that time, too, that are meaningful? Well, and I, I think that's one of the ways... One of the ways that we, I think it, it, it leads to like great discussion and argument within the writer's room and all of that of saying, well, you know, is it more important to develop the game here or to develop these relationships? And that, I mean, that's like a, those are just two different schools of thought for sketch comedy. That's Second City versus UCB in terms of how you want to approach things. And, you know, we try and find our best way to do it. Yeah. There's a lot of logistic considerations too in that type of thing because it's just like well if we do this like do we have to now build a costume for this because yeah. <laughs> we did talk about one point wouldn't it be funny to find out that they've also been with Bigfoot in this bunker this whole time <laughs> but, and then we're like do we actually is it like worth romantically the been with it no uh-huh. <laughs> I mean in the that, sense. Yeah. but yeah so it's just one of those things like where those are all considerations that come in play well to that point does it does it even matter why that bunker exists well for this sketch to me yes um, you know, it could be totally different for the writer, Christine, or, you know, our other team member, Susanna. I don't know. Who knows? But for me, I think, yeah, it needs to be a bunker for Bigfoot because it, it to it's too easy to just say like, oh, it's a bunker. Oh, it's the end of the world. You know, another zombie movie, whatever. Okay, great. Cool. But if it's like something weird and specific, that always makes it so much more interesting to me. And that, again, could just be, like, another school of thought or an idea. And the thought that, like, for people, like, I do feel like there's things, like, for us and our sketch brains and for people who watch it who do sketch, like, the crumb of we should have brought more food when we came here to this bunker for spring break. Like, why the fuck were they in a bunker for spring break? Like, it's just this weird moment that people are like, yeah, like, so it kind of adds to the fun of it. This sketch has a big ending, this big smashing the can of beans with a rock. But most sketches can't have big endings like that or don't have big endings like that. So with this sketch, how did you find this ending? Was this, uh, obviously the writer's not here, but I imagine you worked, maybe worked through some of it in the writer's process. And what do you do about endings generally? Because it's one of the hardest, if not the hardest thing in sketch comedy is to end a sketch, I think. Which I think is very interesting because I don't think that's very hard. No, I'm not saying that. All right, well, I'm going to send you my sketches then. Hang on, let me get my actual potato from this sketch. Um, Her name's Patricia. But I, I, I don't have a problem ending sketches. I'm also a person who's like, yeah, I, that cup, sure, it's sentimental, but also whatever. It broke, who cares? I, you know, so to me, I'm, I'm less precious. But yeah, I don't know if that makes sense. 
It's weird with us for endings because we feel like I would say for as a team, it seems like the harder issue is taking a premise into the sketch and then the ending, we'll find it as a team, we'll figure it out. And so coming with a first draft where enough of it's laid out of the vision, like I think a lot of the times the endings for us become evident because sometimes you do just need to do the thing that the audience is waiting for. Yeah. Um, whether you want to or or not, don't do that and you screw them. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so for us, like, I mean, screaming as an ending is always fine. That's like, that's usually our ending is like, not usually, but for some of our big like closers, it's screaming and then like a moment of resolution afterwards. And so here, I mean, it really just made the whole issue is like, we can't open this can. So the ending has to be like, you have to open this can. If you show a gun. Chekhov's can. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Beans. Chekhov's beans. This podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy troupe Bad Medicine, DC's best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. Visit badmedicinecomedy.com for info about live shows, workshops, and t-shirts for people who love comedy. All right, so this is this is, will be a new experience for us on the show because it's the first time that a group has ever brought their own sketch. I said we didn't understand the assignment. Yes, no, I, we did it on purpose. On the assignment. And oh, I, I mean, it's, no, it's great. No, no it's a whole new a whole new thing. <laughs> but it makes the part where we rate the sketch a little trickier because. So can, I don't know. Sure, you can. So rate now it. we get we come up with it. a scale. So we want to ask you guys to come up with a scale of rating the sketch. It could be anything from. You know, number of cans of beans to number of hairs on Bigfoot's ass. Mm. Just like come up with a scale for us wow. to rate this sketch. Well, it should be in cups, obviously. <laughs> yeah, well, half, half cups. Cups uh, of beans. Cups of beans. And and you want us to go ahead and apply our rating? And then, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll say in terms of all the sketches I have performed... I'm not going to talk about ones I've seen, right? But all the ones that we've performed, for me, this one is like a solid six. Six cups. Which Out of what? Out of six? Out of more cups. Yeah, you, because, don't, need, you don't need to say. Yeah, got because, it. Okay, okay, okay. No, yeah, because I think it depends on the context where, where you, you pick your show, you pick your sketches based on where you're performing them. So... I'll say generally it's a six, but for one show, it might be a nine cups because it's perfect. Oh, we got that great big messy ending or, oh, wait, we can't make a mess in this place. I cannot smash open a can of beans. I will get in trouble. So I, yeah, so I'll say a six cups, but each sketch has a separate function. They're not all equally rateable. And they, in relation to each other, too, like some sketches only work in relation to other yep. sketches. Yep. We should just pause there for a second and say thank you for thinking about not making a mess in the space <laughs> and being respectful yep. of other Thank performers. Absolutely. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Right? Who has to step in that after us? Is it me? I don't want to step in that either. So <laughs> I'm a lawyer. That's a liability problem. <laughs> I, don't, I don't want people slipping on beans it for is. comedy. Like, ugh, <laughs> gross. <laughs> she just wants to slap me across the face for comedy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> With beans. Andy's not going to sue mean, me. I <laughs> mean, the beans weren't such a mess in our most recent show because then we threw a cake on the floor two sketches later. So yeah. it kind of worked itself out. You guys did have a tarp down it looked like right and it looked like yeah. a, like a good tarp so in the in the like recording a bullshit tarp <laughs> it, you're right yeah we were yeah. like especially i wasn't sure if the can when i hit it would then cut the the tarp mm. you know what i mean because it's so sharp and it can cut things yeah. so that was something like i had to practice i went into our friend alexis our teammates um, basement and i went and smashed a can of beans just to practice it was fun yeah 
We use a picnic tablecloth now too. So mm-hmm. and we just throw it all away. That's the other thing. Yep. There you go. Nice and easy. Yeah. Yeah. So that makes transitions easier when we're headed to our next sketch. I will say, depending on how well the the can of beans opens, I may or may not have beans all over me. Just depends. Is that in the good version or the bad version? Of opening. <laughs> um, I mean, it depends. So, so like on on um, Friday, Friday night. Thank you. On Friday night, when we ran this sketch more recently, I smashed open the can of beans, same as always. Only this particular can of uh, Goya beans just exploded, just shot across the stage. And I had a moment where I looked up in the booth. I was like, I'm sorry, Jack. You know, because I was like, this is not how that was supposed to go. And then other times I hit it and the beans won't come out. And I'm like, okay, well, this has really ruined our big ending that you're talking about. And you have to dump them on your face. And I'm supposed to to make the payoff work. Yeah. (laughs) What gets the bigger laugh when it succeeds? I mean, gloriously or not, like, or, or when it, you have to really work to open the can. Can I just pop it? So one of the challenges is if the theater doesn't have a box to smash it on that's sturdy enough, you have to smash it on the floor and then half the audience can't see it. And in this yes. video, we always think of, yeah. yeah. So we always yes. think about that. Mm-hmm. So that's a factor. Right. So depending on the, the stage that we're on, you know, we want to try to elevate it up. But if all a theater has is a stool, I'm not going to smash up in a can of beans on a stool. I'm going to break some shit. So yeah, yeah, we, we try to conscious of that. Yeah. Alyssa, how would you rate this sketch out of cups? I would rate it three out of five, but I'm pretty harsh when I rate things. And I think three is actually a good rating because it's one of those sketches that if ever we are like, we have to do this one, I'd be like psyched to do it. But it's not one that I would be like, this always has to happen. Or like, I don't even know if we have like a sketch that I can say is like, this is our best sketch ever. This is definitely up there, but I think I have high standards and am a critical person. So I'm also just like, this is fine. Like, this is the kind of work we should be doing. You know, all those other ones that are twos and ones, let's throw them away. Like, that's kind of how I feel. EK, what'd you think? Wait, what was our rating system? Out of cups. cups. Out of cups? Or half cups. I'm going to give this two double D cups of beans. Yo, yo, yo. Of beans. Yeah, just because I love an apocalypse sketch. There's just unlimited creativity you can exercise in that. And uh, it's interesting to me that you you don't think of it as, as a feminist sketch because I thought it was actually really charming at the end that it's sort of this reflection of like how how a group of women would navigate this and that they do kind of come together at the end and they're still functional and like together in, in surviving this. Yeah, we built a society down there. It's a very small society, but you we did. did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, the fact that you're all able to hear that rock say the same thing... <laughs> That was, was really... so much fun. Like, like, okay, how long do we wait? What's the cue? You know, when do we all do emotion together? You know, like the, sh- the nodding our heads and saying, yeah. Because that's something people, people loved that. Every time we would yeah. wait, you know, we would wait as long as possible and then do that silent nod together. And people were like, oh, how'd they do that? Which, of course, you know, if you think about it, everyone figures it out. Yeah. We just decided ahead of time. Do you ever get the person who's just like, what did the rock say? <laughs> Not yet. At least no okay. one who's brave enough to tell us or ask us. <laughs> and you know what? It's a bit of a cop-out, but I really liked uh, Ruthie's answer of as like a six of like, it's all contextual about how much of this. And I really like that. I'll go yeah. six and a half cups. I'll, I'll throw in Aww, a half cup. Thank to you. Give us one, yeah, cheers. Give us well, it's there. interesting that she's, you said six, you said three out of five, but you kind of were going on a, a 10 point scale. Yeah. So you yeah. both rated yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Same yeah. Thing there you here. go. Yeah. That's math. <laughs> Fractions, what you said. Crazy. Fractions. Whoa. All right, well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Where can we find you out in the world, whether personally or Cups and a Half? 
probably like online things. Sure. Uh, Where can we, I find you well, online? I work, I work. Or if I, you'd like to get out your home addresses. Yeah, my work address, yeah. Pri- privacy is, is all a lie anyway, so. We have an Instagram. Which is? <laughs> it's cups and a half with the and and D. We are probably doing something digital, but we need to figure that out. But Instagram's the best way to follow us. We also have a Facebook page that we sort of update, but Instagram, cups and a half. And then for me, it's under Alyssa Truz, which you'll figure it out. It's probably in the show notes or whatever. Or you can just follow me from cups and a half. I'm in there. And if you'd like to follow me, it's uh, all of my web presence is for my MFA. <laughs> so it's basically if you want to see my artwork, you can go to ruthiglacius.com. Uh, talk about getting that URL. Boy, I booked that nonsense in 2006. No joke. I bought that domain in 2006, guys. Well, that, I'm proud of you. So a personalized domain is a great baby shower gift. I'm just saying, if they know the name or like a welcome baby gift or a first Ah. birthday gift is their name as a domain and then every, you just pay the $10 to renew it. Gifts forever. I've gotten gotten cash offers for my email address before. What? Yeah. Well, because mine is elizabethkemp at gmail.com because I was in the beta group. Oh, and actually the woman from New School who was Bradley Cooper's acting coach is Elizabeth Kemp, and she was one of the people who offered to like, t- like buy it from wow. me, and she's dead now. Oh, so and I, I still, and I still, no, and I still get emails occasionally being like, "Are you like I'm interested in classes?" And I'm just like, "I am not that person." Also, she's, she's dead, dead. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm not sure I'm the person who should be telling them that information. You but should it's just very start a, awkward, nonetheless. Start a sketch comedy school and be like, "Oh, I do offer classes. You can just pay." Yeah, yeah I taught Bradley Cooper. <laughs> I don't know if you saw Limitless, but that was a lot of my influence. Just find a... That pill that made him limitless, I made that. Find BradleyCooper at gmail.com. I'm sure it's not the Bradley Cooper, and then get them to sign off on you. It's the perfect scam. The scam goes deep. All right, well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you to the audience for being out here for a live episode of Sketch our first ever live from Philadelphia. Something I probably should have said at the top of the show, but I forgot. Uh, but uh, if you uh, if you liked what you saw, you can find more about this, more about the podcast uh, uh, at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds for Elizabeth Kemp, Ruthie Iglesias, Alyssa Truskowski, yes, and Andy yeah. Weld, that's me. Thanks for listening to Sketch Nerds. This episode was produced by Isaiah Hedden. The closing music tracks were provided by soundtrackforeverything.com. All clips in this podcast were used in compliance with the U.S. Copyrights Act Fair Use Exemption for criticism and commentary. The Sketch Nerds podcast is brought to you by the sketch comedy group Bad Medicine, D.C.'s best sketch comedy about the worst of humanity. For showtimes, videos, and funny t-shirts, please visit badmedicinecomedy.com.